created live on Fireside. Hello, everyone. Welcome to YNS Live with NFL Thread, our new series, Pivot. I am Juliet Hahn and my special co-host, Cynthia Zordich. And then we have the most amazing guest. I can't wait for you guys to dive into this. Joe and Bree Barksdale, welcome, welcome, welcome. Just to give you a little background, um, Joe was in the league for many years, and he and Brianna met when they were younger. Bree is in real estate. Joe is now a comedian and a musician and newly diagnosed with autism. So the reason why we were so excited to have these guys on the show was because of pivot, right? Cynthia and I, we introduced the show on Monday and we talked about all the different transitions. And I would love, Cynthia, you just to touch a little bit about when the clock runs out. Um, but these guys are the perfect first guest because right. what, how many pivots Joe has taken being in the league um, and then being out of the league. And and we're going to get into the, the story and Bree being with him throughout all of these different pivots and, and Brianna herself pivoting, being a real in real estate and having to you know, take her business every uh, state they went. And so, uh, Cynthia, if you just want to jump in really quickly, and then we're going to dive into your story, Joe and Bray, promise. But just tell the audience a little bit about, you know, when we decided to take YNS Live with NFL Thread, and we decided to take Pivot into a different journey, just give us a little background on that, please. Um, no problem. And you guys, thank you so much for joining us today. You are excellent first guests. Um, and it's so exciting to have you here together. Um, but Really, it started when um, my husband was at, at the end of his career, you know, when you just know that it's time, um, you know, it's probably your last one or two seasons. And at the time, you know, back in the day, we didn't really talk about transition. We didn't talk about what it was like after the game. You avoided the subject and you avoided each other. And um, it was something that I dove back into then and created when the clock runs out where I told, um, interviewed thousands of um you know, NFL players got quotes from them all and actually sat down with Bill Lyon, a sports writer out of Philadelphia, to interview 20 of them and to find out their story of transition. What's it going to be like when we're done, when we're out of the game and we're removed from this life? And my husband is removed from something that he's done for so long. And um, it was just really to help our, our family, but others. And I think what I found at that time was there's so many stories and we're all so different. And there's no right or wrong way to go through transition. There's only your way, but yet we can still learn from each other in this storytelling. So I'm so happy that you guys are here. And I would love to start at the very beginning because I love the how we met stories. I, and I know you guys go way, way, way back. And when you met, I think it was third grade. <laughs> so if you don't mind, if we could start with, you know, how you guys met and how you knew that you were the person for each other. Uh, we didn't know that when we first met each other. We first met in like the in, uh, junior high, middle school. Um, I was trying to, I don't know, I met her little brother, I met her younger brother. Um, and I guess I was one of the few kids at the school that was nice to him. He wanted me to meet his sister. Um, and that was our first time meeting. It was very um, uneventful. And <laughs> 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 no, I love that. No, I love that. And Bree, I'm sure you're like, wow, great, thanks. Very uneventful because, and so you know, or I should say, a speech impediment. So he couldn't pronounce his L's, and his name was Blake Blackwell. So he would say, my name is Blake Blackwell. Um, so a lot of people picked on him. So when he first approached me with Joe, I'm the oldest of a lot. So when he first approached me, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, if I have to beat this kid up. He's a lot bigger than me. And so he comes over and he goes, I just want you to meet my friend. We play soccer and he's so nice and, and he this and he that. And I just remember being like, hey, you know, thanks for playing with my brother. And he's like, oh, you're welcome. And they just run off. And I was like, okay, he's cool. And then later I'm like, but aren't you in my grade? He's like, yeah, yeah, but your brother's really cool. But it was very uneventful in terms of like the situation itself. But that was the first time we met. Oh, but that's so sweet, though. I mean, my goodness. Like, of course, you you had to love that he was being kind to your brother, A, right? <laughs> right. So, and also, as Cynthia said, I mean, one of the things that I think, and, and we can jump into this, Joe, that really stood out to me um, is 
that you were not someone that played flag football from an early age. You know, football wasn't even on your radar. You were really into into school. And when you wanted to go to college, you were thinking of certain colleges. And someone very special to you said, um, why don't you look at football? Because it could do something for you when you're trying to enter into, into the sports, into, into school. Um, and that really stuck out to me because my family were dyslexic. And so school was really hard for me. But I did play sports. So I actually used sports to get me into college. And I played two sports in college. But because my grades were really terrible, it was, you know, I was able to use that sports, but you kind of did it the other way. So I was really fascinated into that. Can you share a little bit about that journey? Football was a pivot. Um, growing up, I was a STEM kid, science, technology, engineering, and math. I wanted to be an engineer. I wanted to design car interiors for either Ford or General Motors or Chrysler. Um, my first scholarships were for engineering. My first full-ride scholarship was an engineering scholarship, very academic. I got kicked out of engineering camp. Um, it was a residential camp over the summer. Um, it was autistic behavior that got me removed from the camp. Didn't know I was autistic back then. I needed something to do over the summer to uh, stay out of trouble. And I decided to try to get in shape by joining the football team. And that's how I started playing football, like 15. I mean, that that just is so incredible because it really is, you know, so many of the stories that we hear are really awesome. And, and the fact that you just said, and this is something that we're going to really talk about, is you didn't know that you were autistic. You didn't know that was autistic behavior. And the adults in your life kind of let you down. You know, it was like, oh, here, this is something that he's doing, so we're going to kick him out. You know, in my journey, which we talk about all the time, is in school, I used to get told I wasn't trying hard enough, and I was trying so hard. And I just remember all the time the teacher telling me that and just getting crushed and getting crushed, but always prevailing, always being like, no, that's not who I am. I am better than that. And it's, I am trying. And then figuring out I was dyslexic later in life was like, ah, (laughs) okay. So, um, Tell us when you then started football, was it something, you know, I love that you, you know, already knew that you wanted to do this engineering. I mean, I think that's so fascinating. Where do you think that came from, the, the engineering love? I don't like working with people. So, um, you know, being an engineer, I could do a lot of things by myself. You don't necessarily have to be in teams all the time, uh, you know. Um, and there was just a certain solitude to the job that uh, drew me to it. I, I, um, yeah, I've never been the most like outgoing person or anything like that. So um, in my mind, it was a good way to make good money um, and stay out the way, you know? Right. So, so when the football, when you started playing football, did you love it immediately? Or was it something that you were like, I know that this is going to be uh, I'm, I'm, I'm good at it, right? This is something, obviously, God gave me a gift here. Where was your mindset with that? You know, football was just probably one of the first times that I was around adults that were happy to see me. Um, having nothing to do with, like, falling in love. With, I mean, I, I fell in love with being good. I mean, I've always been competitive. I fall in love with being the best at what I do. But in terms of the actual sport, no. Um, no, it was... Uh, Is the word circumstantial? Yeah. Yeah, it was more circumstantial than anything. Um, and like I said, I, I'm very competitive. So I feel like it's the competition in me that, you know, enabled me to be good at it. But yeah, like my parents always treated me like a burden. They always talked about how expensive I was to clothe and feed. That spread out to grandparents and aunts and uncles and that kind of thing. And after a while, you just don't like existing. So being on the football field, at least made me feel like I had a purpose in my life at the time. Like I deserved to be on the planet and not, I wasn't just taking, I was giving. That's awesome. I mean, that's so beautifully, beautifully said. And I I really got the the chills. Cynthia, do you want to jump in? Yeah, I feel like, um, you know, in reading up a bit to get to know you, it feels like that at that pivotal moment when you were introduced to the game, it was by somebody that you felt that really cared about you that really didn't see you as a burden, but somebody to love. And so I just wanted to know, like, if you wanted to share a little bit about your mentor, Charlton, and um, talk about him and what he meant to you at that time in your life. 
Um, yeah, so I started playing football very late. I didn't watch sports. I don't watch sports. I don't watch sports when I play sports. Honestly, I think the sports are very, uh, I know no one asked, but I think the sports are very redundant and repetitive. If there's a Super Bowl next year, that means that this Super Bowl doesn't matter because you're not going to remember it next year anyway. But um, I say that to say, I don't know what this coach saw. Um, I just remember we were selling waters to uh, selling water. We, the school was in downtown Detroit. We were selling waters on the side of the street to raise money to go to football camp. And um, he asked me if my dad was, you know, who was coming to pick me up. My dad was actually coming to pick me up that day. I usually caught the bus. He told me, next time your dad comes and picks you up, I need to talk to him. So him and my dad were talking for like two or three hours. And he's flipping through this Athlon Sports Magazine and all these colleges. You know, I mean, you hear about these colleges, but you never actually see yourself going to them. He's like, I can get your son a scholarship to any of these colleges. And I'm just sitting there like, bullshit. I'm, I'm sorry, but. <laughs> no, you can curse. Remember, this is, oh, this is open. Be yourself. Bullshit, bro. Like, what <laughs> Scholarships, I don't even know what position I play. Like, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, two years later, I was a Parade All-American and I had all those college scholarships. That man, uh, his name is Charleston Fives. I don't know if I said that already. Um, but yeah, he, he was pretty much everything for me. Um, during that time and even beyond, you know, as I went to college and even, you know, to the NFL, like he bought me my first car, um, you know, dating advice and so forth. Uh, I got from him. He taught me how to haggle. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, he was uh, he was everything that I needed him to be and more when I needed it. So beautiful. And Brianna, at this point now, um, you know as you're getting into high school, are you guys now dating? Is this something where you guys are together already? Y'all really trying to push this uh, high school? No. <laughs> and I were really good friends in high school. Okay. Um, we actually have a mutual friend named Carla. And so we all lived on the west side of Detroit. Our school was downtown. And so Carla's parents were like, hey, you know, we work downtown. If you drop Joe and Bree off at the house, we will take all three to school because, both, you know, all of our parents work full time. And so Carla's house, Carla's a musician. I mean, phenomenal. But they did not have like a TV or anything. So every morning, Joe and I got dropped off and we would sit across each other, like on the couch. There was a grand piano and a fireplace and me and Joe every morning. Um, Carla was notoriously late. And so essentially, <laughs> Joe and I used to end up going to school without Carla. So one parent would take Joe and I to school and then Carla would get a, a ride with the other parent. And so he, I mean, I will say for the first couple of weeks, no words were exchanged. And so finally, one morning, I'm like, so how are you? And you could tell he was like, oh, she's going to talk because he is an introvert. Like, he's <laughs> And so he um, we started talking, but we became really good friends. And on my 16th birthday, I got my license. And it's funny because in retrospect, I don't know how quickly I would be to put my kid in the car with somebody who got their license on their 16th birthday. His mom was like, hey, can Joe ride with you? And I'm like, sure, why not? So we started riding to school together every day, um, starting when I turned 16. And then, like I said, best friends, he had his girlfriends, I had my boyfriends, but we always hung out. And... Um, I don't know, we just, I mean, those car rides, we joke about them now, but my sister, she came to that school two years later, but we just all, like, became, like, really close in the car, like, listening to music, cracking jokes, and then I found out he was catching the bus after school, and so I was like, well, hey, I'll just study till you get out of football practice, and then I can get you a ride home so you don't have to catch the bus, so we would do that, but, like, we were really just friends all throughout high school, um, yeah. That's a good friend. That's a good friend. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah. I mean, and so now I want to take it a little bit because I know we really want to get into the musician, you know, your newly diagnosed autism and, and, you know, autism speaks and what you're doing in the community and sharing your story. Because again, your story is going to help so many people. And I really, truly believe that's why God gave you the football gift, right? To put you on this pedestal, to be able to then to share your story, mm -hmm. to really touch people in all corners of places. So after you guys, you know, when you were drafted, um, and you were playing in the league. Um, so um, Cynthia, is that okay if I jump all the way to there? Yes. You go with that? Yeah. So when you were in the league, and then I know, which one of the things that I loved is that you were playing, but there was a couple times, you know, you had some, you, you realizing that you were, were suffering from depression. Can you take us through that if that's okay? I didn't realize it. There were different, like, 
doctors, and it started in college, there were different doctors who would be associated with the team who would try to like lead me in that direction. Like, hey, you know, you ever thought about taking care of your mental health? Things don't seem to be, and you know, every time I'm like, bro, I'm not crazy. Get the fuck out of my face. Like, I'm not, you're not about to put me on medicine. I'm not about to be me with a therapist. I don't need that. Like I had a normal childhood like everybody else. And it wasn't until I actually accepted my diagnosis and really started looking back at my childhood objectively that I'm like, oh, I'm really fucked up. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I was diagnosed with, oh, thank you. I was diagnosed, <laughs> diagnosed with anxiety and depression. Um, but because, like Brianna said, like I'm very introverted. I don't really talk to people. I assumed everybody got molested when they were younger. I thought everybody was like neglected by, you know, people who were supposed to be there for them. I thought everybody was abused and you know i thought i was just not handling it the right way i thought i needed to suck it up more mm-hmm. but it turns out i was just mentally ill and uh you know the things that i thought were normal are not normal right and i mean you hear that so much with people with trauma and that suffered those kind of things that it was you didn't realize that that wasn't normal um and so uh, you being able to share that and get to a place to share that again, you're going to help so many people realize, wait a second, I need to, I need to address this because mental health is something that's, is, is, is really I- I important. And, um, Brianna, where were you in this aspect, um, with Joe in, in, in this, in this part of, of his journey? Um, I think I was always there. I won't say I was so much, like from a doctor's standpoint per se like i there was things that he would say that would be alarming but joe's always been really comfortable talking to me so i would just be like hey i know today's a bad day you know but let's you know try again tomorrow even when we were friends so i think you know throughout the years i'll never forget there was um a game like he's had i, I always say he has his guardian angels um but there was a game when he was with the yeah, with the Rams. And it was a bad game, but I wasn't living with the like the team yet. I was still in Michigan. So I was like, oh, this game. I don't know if you've ever done this, Cindy. I'm like, this game is bad. I'm going to just cut it off and go to sleep because he'll yeah. call me after and I, you know, we can talk about it. But I knew his position well. I knew what it should look like. It was just not a good game. So I go to sleep. I wake up. My phone is like blowing up. And all of his um, fraternity brothers are calling me like, where are you? And I'm like, um, in Michigan, you know. They're like, you need to get to St. Louis. Joe's texting us some things that are concerning. And I'm like, okay, but I also know Joe. So I'm like, okay, I'll, I, you know, I'll see what I can do. But one of his teammates called me and he goes, hey, I'm really concerned about Joe. I'm going to make him sleep on my couch tonight unless you can get to St. Louis. And I was like, what? And he goes, and I don't even know how he got my number, to be honest with you. But I was like, okay. So I remember driving to the airport and I get on the next flight. And this teammate, the whole time he's texting me, like, even when I landed, I'm like, hey, I I made it to St. Louis. He goes, Joe wants to get food. I'm so sorry. Is there somewhere you can sit until, you know, can get to you? And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. And I'll never forget Joe's face when he saw me because he was like, you know, I was thinking that he might be like, oh, wow, she really cares. Or I don't know how she got here. His first thought was like, oh, man, I'm in trouble now. Because he just thought, like, the things I said got her here. But that was the first time I think it was alarming for me because I'm like, so many people were so concerned that I like hopped on a flight to, to get there. And obviously he was fine, but it was again, alarming. Right. Um, and I think the, the Rams was the first team that made him actually talk with the doctor. Like made, I don't, did they make you? I don't know how that works. I mean, they didn't make me, but that was the, that was the first time, um, that I like talked to a doctor and tried medicine, that kind of thing. Right. Right. Um, there was a situation where it cuts a kind of nice, uh, brings into the music into it. Um, I thought this was really in, amazing is that there was a, I don't know if it was that situation or maybe later that there, um, came a time, Joe, where you opened up to Brianna to tell her exactly how you were feeling and how you had this feelings of depression and, you know, lacking self-worth and, you both went to bed, but well, you went to bed and Brianna, you stayed up and started to write. And can you guys talk about that collaboration? I, I just think that shows, beautiful. and it really shows how close you guys are and it shows the friendship first and then, you know, becoming the, um, the couple. 
Okay, yeah, so that was, so the story I just shared was like 2014. And okay. so we had Kennedy in December of 2016. And then I vividly remember watching this movie. It was like Perks of Being a Wallflower or something like that. I remember that, yeah. Well, yeah, before 14. So Fobbs died in 2013. 2014 was when I flew out to St. Louis. So this is 2017. We watched this movie. And I do think that there are sometimes things that like you can put deep down inside, but then something will trigger that to come back up. And in this movie, there was a, I'm not good with recalling movies and facts, but there was a, a child the that was, the main aunt. character was being molested by his aunt, who died in a car crash. And he suppressed it. And so after the movie, Joe, you was like, you know, can you can you talk a little about that? Cause I don't I don't want to speak yeah, for you. Yeah, I was just pretty much. I mean, it, it, the recollection came like out of nowhere. Like I'm like, who who forgets getting molested that long? Like you know, what I mean, like who who forgets that kind of thing? Like who kind of who pushes those things down? What is molestation anyway? Oh shit, I was molested. Like you know. Wow. So yeah, again, I didn't know the thought process. I only got the, hey, I think I was molested part of that story. Mm -hmm. And so at that time, um, we had Kennedy. She was probably about three months old. And so we're getting ready to go to bed. This is in February. And he goes, yeah, again, Joe's very open and honest with me. And I love that. Like, he doesn't have to censor himself. He goes, I kind of just want to kill myself. And I was like, oh, like, okay, Um, where did that come from? He's like, I don't know. I just, you know, I've been thinking it for a while. And I, you know, I just, you know, he's just talking, really. It's dark. He can't see me. I can't see him. He's just talking, talking, baby sleep. And so I'm like, I mean, honestly, I'm like, great. I just had this baby. She's three months old. And now you want to kill yourself. So, I mean, that's what I was thinking as a wife and mom. But then part of me is like really concerned because I'm like, right. we go from here. You know, and so he, he goes to sleep, but I couldn't sleep then because one, she was three months. I'm still feeding every couple hours and my mind is just racing. So I was like trying to put into words everything he told me because he had just started. Well, he didn't just start playing guitar, but he just gotten really serious about learning more. got the teacher. So I was like, well, maybe we can just write a song about this. And um, I wrote down the words because I'm more of a lyrics person. He's more of a music person. And so I was like, when he woke up, I'm like, hey, last night I wrote the words to the song. I said, I kind of hear the music, but obviously I don't play instruments, so you can help me with that. And so as I said the words, he kind of wrote the music to it. And that was the first song. It was called Journey to Nowhere. And yeah, that was... And it's beautiful. If anybody could go to Spotify and listen, the lyrics are beautiful. You're your guitar playing is beautiful. Your voice is beautiful. Everything about it, and the fact that you guys created this beautiful music together, is so based special. on this type of conversation. Wow! It's like, oh, it's what is it? He took it down. Took it down. Oh, you did. <laughs> well, I I just listened to it recently. Um, uh, you can you can get it from what Amazon? Yeah, I think there are places where you can listen to it, but you know how it is. You put out your first project, and then you realize. Oh, I sing better now. <laughs> oh, got it. I mean, it's the same with podcasting. When I go back to listen to my first episode, I chuckle. I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. That happens in, in all crafts, right? That's true. Right, that's yeah. right. Um, if, if we could back up a little bit, because I think this is important too, because you create a beautiful music based on honesty and opening up. And the fact that you wrote lyrics, I think it's because you already knew Brianna, that music was an outlet. And Joe, if you don't mind sharing how that came about, because I think that it's a beautiful story, your conversation with coach Jeff Fisher and talking about your feelings and possibly looking for a creative outlet for what you were going through during a time, I think, of um, mourning when you lost your um, beloved um, mentor and coach. Yeah. Um, Like I said before, he was everything I needed him to be when I needed him to be. Uh, died suddenly on a Thursday night. Brianna actually drove by the accident. We didn't know. We were actually both on the phone with each other at the time. And she was, um, cause she was going to Michigan State, right? Mm-hmm. She was driving home um, from Lansing back to Detroit. And she's like, man, you know, it's just really bad car accident. I'm gonna pray for whoever it is. You know, that kind of thing. And I'm just like, man, car accidents happen all the time. People will be fine, you know, whatever. We end up getting off the phone. I go to sleep. I wake up. 
at like three in the morning. People are calling me. I'm like, man, I got practice tomorrow. So I cut my phone off. Right. And it wasn't until I woke up the next morning um, and my agent kept calling me and he told me that um, that Fives was dead. And I'm like, no, he's not, you know. Um, but yeah, he was, you know, he was dead. I remember, I didn't want to believe it. I mean, like, you know, when anyone hears about a death, they don't want to believe it. Um, I think for me, it was just a little extra because like even now when I, think about like who I would call like if something good happened or you know if I needed some advice or that kind of thing like he's dead you know um so that was hard you know going through that season um but at the end of the season uh Jeff Fisher you know met with me in his office thanked me for you know pushing through what I was going through for the team and um he told me that I needed something to do over the off season and you know, help me process these things, something to take up some mental space. And I told him, you know, I mean, I was a really good Call of Duty player back then. So I was like, I'm going to be in the game, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you more than a video game for this one. Uh, my son, guitar, you seem to be really into music. Have you thought about, you know, playing guitar? I did used to play saxophone when I was in middle school. I tried out for this jazz band and I didn't make it. I was close, but I didn't make it. And ever since then, I was just like, kind of gave up on music. Um, but this was my first time thinking about getting back into it. And uh, I know I didn't want to play saxophone, so figured I'd try out the guitar. And uh, now I play guitar, bass, keyboard, drum machine. I produce, I'm right. That's amazing. I, and, and so I want to kind of take it from here because this is, I think, is a, is a great pivot. And I love that we've used that word now twice in here. But I remember um, something that I was reading that you... Uh, went to Kobe Bryant and said to him, like, when is is time for me to to hang up my cleats? And can you share a little bit about what that conversation was and then how you decided to exit the league on your own terms? Yeah, I developed a relationship with him um, over the past couple of years. He came and spoke to the team. Um, as shy as I am, I wasn't letting that opportunity slip through my hand. So. <laughs> right. With a little push and encouragement from my wife. Big kick in the butt, but um, <laughs> good for you. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I told him that I, I don't. I mean, you know, I was, I'm always honest. I'm like, hey, I don't have a mentor. I'm not looking for a dad, but I would love some advice on some things. And we ended up, you know, he told me to come to his office on my next off day. We went to his office. And I remember, yeah, first time we met, it we were probably in there for like five, six hours. Like I never. To this day, I have not met anybody that understands me and got me like he did. Oh, amazing. Very refreshing. You know, it was like meeting yourself. Um, And I remember asking him, you know, we were were talking about something. um, And I'm like, when did you... Oh, because he had all these plans, you know, these these books that he had written out, movies, you know, 10, 20-year plans down the road. I'm like, when did you decide that, you know, you wanted to retire. And he said, well, you know, I was thinking about this stuff more than I was thinking about basketball. I realized that I'm doing a disservice to myself and the game. So it's time for the, you know, I, I do what I'm the most passionate about. And this is what I'm the most passionate about. And I was never passionate about football. I was passionate about being good at football. Like there's a difference. Like I, I was looking for, the reason I was passionate about being good is because I wanted some accolades. The reason I wanted some accolades is to prove to myself that I deserve to be alive. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. get that reassurance and validation that I did not get growing up from strangers who don't care about me anyway. You know, it's, but yeah, that, that was that was where that passion to be good came from. Like, if I can make a Pro Bowl, then I can prove to myself that I should not kill myself. Those kind of things. Right. Um, right. Yeah. During so that, powerful. I, during that conversation, I realized this is what I'm passionate about. Right. That validation is incredible. Um, in seeking validation after everything that you had been through, that you had suppressed, but even that you continued to feel, um, it's like, it's great that you understand that. And it's great that you could separate like what you're doing from what it is like that you need to do in realizing that, well, what I need to do now is music because music is allowing me to pour out these feelings. And I think you were, 
I love one of the quotes, I think it was in the LA Times that you said, um, blues is like talking without having to say anything. And so I feel like you are just getting to know yourself more and more and understanding that there's a lot in there that needs to come out, but you don't necessarily want to talk about it all the time. You just want to let it out, right? Uh, I think for me, it was more... I'm trying to think of how to explain this. Uh, for me, it was more the reason I held on to, the reason I was trying to hold on to football like subconsciously was because that was the last living thing I had of fives. Like mm -hmm. when I was done, he was dead, dead. You know what I mean? And I think that was part of that internal struggle about should I leave or should I stay too? Because we talked about me going to the Pro Bowl. You know, we talked about me being in the playoffs. We talked about these things. Right. Um, and I think that was, you know, I mean, I don't, it's not like I just skipped off the field, you know, with the, <laughs> with the spring in my step, you know, and a basket full of roses and rolled into the sunset. Like I, it was more like, you know, tearing something out of my body, you know, that I knew I wouldn't be able to put back and like putting it down in hopes that something better would come in the future. Wow. I mean, that that is so powerfully said. And, and the fact that you had another mentor that also passed. I mean, you've had a lot of, of, not, of loss. I mentors anymore. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> but I mean, you, but you have, you had, <laughs> you've had so much loss though. And the fact that you keep, and, you know, in, in my head, what I just keep thinking is that, you have Brie by your side, that she's been a constant. She's been a steady. She's been there. Um, and so, Brie, for you to go through the loss with Joe and, you know, and his coach and then another mentor and then leaving the game, where were you and, and how were you there supporting? I'm, I'm sure it, it, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, so I'm going to let, let you say, but where were you in, in your mindset there? I mean, I think it was different each time. When Coach Fives passed, we were both very young. And, you know, similar to, you know, certain memories being etched in your head, you know, that was, I always say, tell y'all, like, that was kind of like a this is us moment for anybody familiar with that show, just to be like on the phone with Joe past the car accident scene. And it was just surreal because I remember being stuck in traffic. I sent him a picture of the traffic. I'm like, uh, I said, I'm stuck in traffic, but I always have a quote that I tell people that you can either be stuck in traffic or the reason for the traffic jam. Mm -hmm. So you got to be thankful that, you know, you're just stuck in traffic. Right. And, <laughs> um, you know, the next day it was another situation I, I used to be. He'll tell you, uh, I think we got closer then because I was very corporate America. I was climbing the corporate ladder. I had graduated. I was already in management. And MBA. Yeah, I walked into my boss's office and I'm like, hey, I got to go to St. Louis. And so I'm going to be leaving in the next five minutes. I understand that, you know, you need me here, but I got I have to go and I'll send you guys an email. And she was pretty much like, OK, because I don't do stuff like that. But I was like, I have to get to St. Louis because at that time his phone was off so nobody could reach him. So no, like there, nobody knew what was going on. Um, and so I got there as quickly as I could. So again, very young though, and not really necessarily knowing how to navigate that. I think now where I'm at, I would have been like, hey, we should probably speak to a therapist or something. And in my mind, I'm like, put it all on the field. Take the, you know, take the anger out because mm -hmm. Coach Files was his pregame and postgame talk. So now I'm like, okay. I, you know, I used to get the talk about like, hey, did you see the game? What did you think? Now it's like, well, how was this play? Did you see when this happened with Vaughn or like Clay? And I'm like actually having to dissect plays because I'm trying to fill that void, wow. which I can't do. Um, but it was just hard, you know, in the very beginning because we were still long distance. I was getting my master's. Um, Joe was playing. Field, yeah. yeah, Coach Fox died the, the Thursday before his first career start. And so... At right tackle. At right tackle, sorry. And so... It was just, you know, very hard. And then, you know, there was a lot of things that happened between then him not re-signing with the Rams, which is something he really wanted to do, um, him switching agents. Like, it was just so much Finance other team. drama that happened between the Coach Fobbs, like, death that 
we probably don't even have time to dive into, but Coach Bob's dying was like the tip of the iceberg. There was a lot more that came after that, um, just with family and everything. And this was all before we got married. If anyone's looking for a Netflix miniseries. <laughs> right. Well, I was going to say, but I no, I'm not kidding, though. I'm not kidding. I was just saying to Cynthia before, there's so much to this story that I know we could be on for five hours, but I know none of us are, none of us can be on for five hours. But so I'm thinking like, you know, part two, part three, part four, but I mean, that is, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, continue, but I, a hundred percent, there's so much that you guys can share. In that story. And so even when I think about how we're jumping from scenario to scenario, um, you know, when he did meet Kobe Bryant, it was very, I don't want to say funny, but he, he said, Kobe Bryant came to the team and he said, Hey, if any of you guys ever want to talk to me, just come to my office. It's right here in this building. And so Joe was like, I think I'm going to send him a, a DM on Instagram. And I was like, oh, okay, which I knew wasn't going to work. And so he comes to me like a week or two later. He goes, he never hit me back. And I was like, well, Kobe doesn't come off as the guy that's checking his DMs all the time. <laughs> but, I said, but I can guarantee you as someone who's been to business school, if somebody says, come to my office, they say that openly because they know nobody will. And I said, so if you actually show up at his office, you will be the only person that does because I guarantee you nobody else will. And sure enough, he was like, he's very nervous, very shy. He's like, what if I get there and he kicks me out? I'm like, but he actually invited all of you. And so he gets there and I just remember him being gone most of the day. And so I was like, hey, how'd it go? He's like, man, it was great. And we said, we talked. And I was like, yeah. I was like, did he get your DM? He goes, no, actually, he doesn't. He had the team for his uh, social media. I was like, oh, imagine that. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> either way, I, you know, when he came, there was, you know, something else there. We were no longer living in California. It was the middle of COVID. Um, you know, Joe had retired, obviously. He got angry. He was very angry at that point because, you know, it's one thing to, to pivot. It's another thing to pivot and then your plan doesn't go seamless like your plan has to pivot 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 because now there's COVID and there's COVID, right. no performances anywhere and we're all in the house with two kids under three it's a lot of pivoting that goes on um because I love football to be available for music shows yeah so, right. Right. right it's yeah. like yeah so there was a lot of you know things that went on I think during those times and those losses were tremendous but I think for me it was just about letting him know I'm there. I try to give him his space to process on his own. Uh, we found a very good therapist that he's actually met with for most of this time in California. And, um, I still know. And yeah, he still meets with her. Uh, excuse me. Bless you. Bless you. God bless you. Bless you. Thank you on the first one. Not COVID, is it? No, I'm just playing. <laughs> you never know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love her. Um, she, you know, it's interesting because I always tell people, especially women, I, women, I have a lot of male friends, so I'm just now new to having female friends. But when they're like, oh, you, you would let him have a female therapist and you, and I'm like, yes, girl, I can't do this by myself. Like, this I, yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> so awesome. I know that he's more open with females and more comfortable. And so she's like part of the team. If you were part of the family, like, there's times where he'll come to me with something, and I'm like, that's more of a Kamala question. I think you need to talk to him. Oh, that's fantastic. Honest I to mean, God. Yeah. But again, that's why I say I'm older now. Back in the day, I would have probably Googled it and tried to say, you know, this is what, what you do? need to do. <laughs> yeah, like now I'm like, okay, there's, there's experts out there, and it's very important to get in touch with those experts. Right. Oh wait, okay. I, I'm just like freaking out because I know. <laughs> like, there's so many. You guys are offering so much great advice just by telling your story. You know, just in terms of speaking, opening up, getting help, being going to therapy. These are just incredible things. And I think it's important to say. And Joe, you already said it once. Is that you know this is who you are and what you are. It's like a tattoo. It's not going away. So there isn't like an end to depression, you know, there isn't, it's every, you, you're, for the rest of your life, it's how you're going to kind of deal with it, right? And get, and speak about it and help yourself through it. So ongoing therapy is so important for you. And, and I feel like this is something that you guys are doing as a team. Yeah, because there's days I don't want to go. I mean, there's days I don't want to take my medicine. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we definitely do it as a team. 
And, and just to be clear, one of the best things I did for myself was go to my own separate therapist. Mm. And, you know, I, mm. that's easy. But I, I just was like, you know, I'm not perfect and I know I'm not. But I really, when I met my therapist, I remember my first question to her was, how can I be of a better support to my husband? Because I'm not sure what he's going through. Like the way that we think is completely different. So whereas if I'm having a bad day or a depressed you know, moment, there's things I can do to actually get myself out of that. Whereas he can't do those things. So I had to understand it's very frustrating for somebody like myself who can do that to just be like, but hey, you know, if you go exercise and you know, drink some green tea, Mm -hmm. The next thing you know, you won't be depressed anymore. And he's looking at me like, you sound crazy. Um, right. And damaging that could be to our relationship if I don't realize that myself. Right. Um, so there right. was, I said, a lot of learning that had to go. And I, a lot of stuff I had to learn personally um, so that we could do this. But yes, he does meet with this therapist. There'll be days where he doesn't want to go. So I'll be like, well, hey, I don't have anything on my calendar. I'll take your session. Today may be one of those days. Right. But. <laughs> <laughs> See there, there's the comedian coming out. See, we're, we're seeing that. We're, we got a lot of laughs. Yeah, I love it. Right. I, I really would love to talk about um, that, you know, because that's really interesting to me. The music, I completely, it feels like a natural progression. Um, blues with a little bit of funk and just really just like being able to like get it. Pro, you know, we're so lucky when we're able to hear people's lyrics to, to really hear what's going on inside through music. But comedy is, um, is really, you know, from what I understand, a lot of comedians have serious, deep, deep kind of feelings and they use the comedy as a way also to kind of like pull out those feelings or just kind of maybe get away from them a little bit. What do you think comedy brings to you? Comedy's always been a show for my emotions. Like people who know me the most, they can tell when I'm like really pissed off or really angry because I get really funny <laughs> um, or really nervous. Right. Anything really. Like ever since, I mean, the molestation stuff started at like three, you know, on top of like beatings that I did not deserve and that kind of thing. So I realized at a young age that like, don't nobody care how you feel. So they don't need to know how you feel. So you need to figure out something else that's going to mask how you feel. And it became humor. Um, over the years, obviously, you know, the humor matured and that kind of thing. But it was actually COVID-19 that got me into comedy. I wasn't doing music shows. Um, I went to a comedy show. I saw a, complete, I saw a comedian. Uh, he was the head, I saw the headlining comedian of that show. He was a black dude. And between me, you, and the rest of the world, this was like one of the only times I was ever ashamed to be black. That's how bad he was. Like, he was that... He was so bad. The only other time I was ashamed to be black was when we were in London, England with the football team. And one of my teammates, one of my black teammates, walks up to the woman behind the counter at the hotel. Excuse me, ma'am. Something's wrong with the TV. And she's like, oh, what do you mean something's wrong with the TV? It's, it's, in a, it's in a bad language. Like, I don't understand the language. Like, oh, is it in Chinese or, you know, is it Japanese? It's English. It's just the wrong kind of English. So... <laughs> have something to say so um it took me about three four months to kind of figure out like what i wanted to talk about because i started out as a very angry comedian like very angry because i was a very angry person i am a very angry person and uh <laughs> and um over time <laughs> figure out what i wanted to say but this is pretty much who i am on stage i mean it, there's just more jokes but it's very conversational. Um, comedians have already told me that like, I mean, I'm very open, you know, with who I am and that kind of thing. And I'm very vulnerable with like the material I talk about, but I don't see it as like vulnerability or openness. I see it as me telling my side of the story of my life. Right. Wow. That's right. Exciting. Where can we see this? Like, where can people see some of your shows? Do you have anything on YouTube? Netflix. But no, I'm not. But yeah. Oh, you're no. serious. You're keep saying Netflix. it. You put. You got to put it out in the universe. Netflix, Netflix. Keep saying it because you're going to do it. I told you, him, like, he has so many stories that I wouldn't be surprised if we can figure out a way to a mini series or something. Like, 
it's definitely possible. The I will say I'm learning. I do a lot of the business side of things. And so he's working on putting everything together for a special next year. And so the thought process is not to put out. I mean, there's clips on his Instagram page, JBDale72, which you can check out. Okay. But with the whole his whole shows up while he's still figuring it out. We want to record one really sound piece and then put 45 minutes. Yeah, publish that so that nice. you know you get a full show versus like bits and pieces. Oh, that was a good joke. Yeah, yeah. and then you know it's kind of like. You know, when you see the comedians, the famous ones, they go around and do the smaller shows. And if you yeah. go to those, you're like, that's hilarious. But then you realize if you go to the special, you've heard at least half of that. And so it's kind of a similar thing. Yeah. And you know what? Fireside has a lot of comedians that, that use this platform. And we can talk about that on the side later. Mm-hmm. But how to leverage Fireside for what you're doing is amazing. And anyone that wants to, you know, as they were talking about Instagram, Bree was talking about Instagram, you can go to Joe's Instagram and check that out. That is in the fortune cookie right here. Um, and you guys can can check it out. Why don't you guys shout it out too so they can they can grab it? Oh yes, JBDale72, J-B-D-A-L-E 72. And you know what? I was gonna shout it out, but all of a sudden my dyslexia got in the way and I was like, wait a second, I You'll need to write that down. I was gonna yeah. say it wrong. So I, I was like, you. let me have them do it. <laughs> I love you. I used to you know, it was easy to, like because there aren't many autistic mentally ill former football player athletes. This is named Joe Martin. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You've got it all. That's awesome. I, I love that. Well, I want to, and Cynthia, I know you want to jump. Do you want to say something first? Yeah, I want. Yeah, I don't want to leave it because I want to say like, so Brianna, I, you know, you're in real estate now, but you started off in PR and you have your own PR business. You know, I love that, you know, you have your master's, you, you went to Michigan State, you, you did events from grade school to high school to Michigan State. And so I feel like, wow, this is going to be really interesting to see what role you play within this because you've already done it all. You know, so it's going to be exciting to see like what happens and where you guys take this. And I feel like Netflix is just the beginning. You know, I just feel like you really have something. Prize for American humor. That's... If I That's died without winning that award, I would feel like I failed. All right, put it out there. Right. Right? You got to put it out there, and that's what you go for. And that, I mean, creative like, passion. Oh, like you're talking about Hall of Fame. Can you get a show first? No, I'm just playing. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but that's my goal. Um, Love it. Right. right. Won the Mark Twain Prize for American Humor. So did Dave Chappelle. I would consider them both. Those are both two people I thought about heavily when I decided to walk away from my job, too. I mean, obviously, Dave Chappelle's situation was different. Um, well, both of their situations were different, and they both still ended up coming back to comedy in their own ways. But it was very inspirational to me because, I mean, they dropped everything to do that. And if it wasn't for people like that, telling people like my, especially prior, like people, I, he was the first comedian I heard that had childhood similar to mine. Mm-hmm. And to hear people tell my story, or to help people tell their stories and, you know, me relate to it with my story and that kind of thing. It was very powerful. Um, and that's, I want to be that for a bunch of people. Yeah. And Dave Chappelle, that's one of the things that I love about his comedy. He always, I mean, he's a favorite in our house and he always ends with a really amazing message. And that's one of my favorite things about him. As funny as he is, he always leaves it with like a really serious thing to think about. So you always are laughing your ass off, like almost crying. And then all of a sudden he says this thing and you're like, wow, that was so profound. Now I'm like really deep in thinking. And, and you know, I want to bring it really quickly also to the, the creative passion is so important. And, you know, we've touched on so many different things, you know, from how, why you played football to you know your music and then into comedy and and this is something that we talk about on our podcast all the time you know finding that outlet for a creative passion is so important and what i always say to people is that you need to find that place to daydream you know whether it's called some people call it meditating i call it daydreaming i do it when i walk my dogs i daydream just like things that you're saying like i want this i tell cynthia all the time hey we're gonna have a talk show we're gonna do this we're gonna do that because when you put it out there and really let the universe and god i believe in god but you let that you know kind of sit and 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 then people are put into your life and they're put into your life for a reason so i want to you know i before because i know we're coming sort of to an end but i really want to talk about your autism um diagnosis and like why you're in new york and um autism speaks and then you know really what people should know about what 
you know, when they're dealing with someone with autism, and I don't like to say dealing, but when you are interacting with someone with autism. Um, <laughs> well, some people, I mean, with dyslexia, people would say, I'm dealing with your spelling. I mean, I, you know, totally get it. But it is, um, it's one of those things, as you said, from your beginning of your story, when you got kicked out of camp, because of something that you did because of autism, like adults and people need to be more aware of how they interact with children. Um, and, and, and you bringing awareness, to the story, your story is going to help. So can you touch on the autism? And, um, I know I just probably like asked you like 30 things in one sentence, but I was, as you were talking, I'm, uh, so it was just, so I, uh, we found out about the autism three years ago. I've been working with my therapist, um, at that time for like three plus years, she had been observing me, but it's not one of those things where you just, you know, all right, the session's over, by the way, you're autistic. You know what I mean? Like, that's not how it goes. Um, But I remember talking to her one day about how like I hated being around people because I felt like I was always trying to be who I was supposed to be as a human being. But one day someone was going to realize like I was different, you know, and that kind of was what opened up the door to me meeting with a specialist and being diagnosed. I met with the specialist and the woman's like, listen, it's gonna take you, you know, it's gonna take some time, probably a month or two. We're gonna have to have a couple meetings here, fill out this paperwork, you know, that kind of thing. I came back to the first meeting. All right, here's the, let me look at the paperwork. All right, halfway through our conversation, she, we're not gonna need to have any more meetings. You are autistic, like, yeah. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it was it was explained to me as difficulty understanding yourself and your emotions and difficulty understanding others and their emotions and everything that that involves, like, you know, processing how you feel, not even knowing, like sometimes I'm pissed off. I don't even know why. Or like my feelings would be really hurt and it won't be till like hours later that I figured out why they were hurt or that kind of thing. I can't put myself in other people's shoes. I take everything literally. Like when, like someone said the other day, like, oh, I see you out here in the neck of the wood. What neck is in the woods? You know what I mean? Right. Um, <laughs> no, it's, you know, there's different symptoms and there is a spectrum. Um, so like different people, you know, it's just like stats, like someone else, someone's stats may be really high in one area, really low in another area. And then as you move across the spectrum, that graph just, you know, and there's no two people on the exact same part of the spectrum. I am high functioning autistic, but it's still all autism. They used to call it Asperger's, but now it's just all the autism spectrum. Gotcha. Um, it is a mental disorder. I feel like the state of Texas should give me a handicapped driver's license. Mm -hmm. I need those parking benefits. I have. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that oh, you. I love it. I love that we're learning the spectrum. I, I feel like this is something that is, you know, that we're all becoming more and more aware of that there is a spectrum and what that actually means, which is so many different levels. And you still respect the diagnosis, but it is what it is, and you are who you are with, you know, uh, high functioning autistic, you know, and I think that's wonderful for parents, young parents, people, adults, children to hear you talk about because and it's the, not you can catch. I know sometimes people are like, you know, like, oh, these shots are giving people autism. Your autism is the way that your brain is hardwired. Like you were born autistic or not autistic. So that too, because I, I, you know, right. you don't catch autism. Right, right. 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 Like with dyslexia, like you, I was born with it. My dad has it. My son has it. My grandfather had it. You know, my sister has it. Like it's, it's one of those things that, you know, ADHD, the same, there's the spectrums of all of that stuff. And, mm-hmm. um, when you look at it and, and growing up having, uh, and, and I always say, you know, learning differences, my son always is like, I hate when people say learning differences or learning disorders. Like it is, you know, it's, it's, it's different things, but then you have your strengths, right? Because we talk about this on the podcast all the time. I know my dyslexia brought me so many things that I learned as a kid that were hard, but it made me the woman I am today. And it made me the, the have the grit and the drive to do so many more things. Like I'm not afraid of failing because I've failed so many different times. So I will tackle anything. And all my friends, anyone knows, you give me a business idea, you say, hey, do you want to go run and try to do that? And I'll do it because I'm not afraid of failure. What do you think with autism being diagnosed later in life? I was diagnosed with uh, dyslexia later in life as well. So what do you think as a kid and then growing up and then you learning, okay, I'm autistic. What do you think the autism did for you in a positive way? Um, Like what do you think it gave you to be the man that you are today? It just made me more comfortable with myself. Um, Yeah, that's that's a big thing, but... 
yeah, like it made me comfortable. You know, I am who I am. And that's the only person I can be. So I may as well be that person, you know. Um, yeah. Like Dr. Sue says, you know, um, be yourself and speak your, you know, say what you mean and be yourself. Those who matter don't mind and those who mind don't matter. So mm, that's beautiful. I, I love that. Straight from the Dr. Seuss. That's what I <laughs> Straight from the doctor. But, you know, and, and it, Joe, and I love that you said that because it is really thing. And that's when, you know, I want everyone that's listening. If you feel like, okay, maybe my son or someone or my, my daughter or I have, you know, I've always done things a little different, go and get diagnosed. Because I know for my son, when he was in third grade and school was really hard for him, when he got the diagnosis of dyslexia and then we really broke it down for him, he was like, oh, thank God, I'm not dumb, right? It's because oh. my brain works different. I remember when he said that to wow. me and I was like, dude, I totally understand what you're saying because I remember being in the classroom and being like, why does everyone else understand what's going on? But for me, communicating, and he's the same way, we are so good at communicating, but what we say in our, like what we can verbalize, if I went to go write down half of what I'm saying, it literally looks like like you it wouldn't come across and so we learn the things that we're good at we learn how to take those differences and then make them positive and then use them as strengths and know okay this is a weakness so um can i like and i know we're coming to an end here but i would love to kind of end with like brianna and joe so knowing that joe is autistic how is it to raise two girls um knowing that um maybe you're going to do things a little different. Can you guys take us through that a little bit? Um, so far, it's, it's been fine. Joe, I will say because of his autism diagnosis, it made some things make more sense to me. So like he hears sounds differently than I do. And I'm very good, like most moms, at tuning out anything I choose. And so the kids could be crying and I'd be like, that's a attention cry. They're fine. But for him, it's like, somebody scratching a chalkboard and he's like, Hey, is there anything we could do? And I'm like, okay. So we've had a lot of conversations because on one hand he prefers, you know, when he wants it to be quiet. So his mind can try Like he wants it to be quiet. And I'm like, well, realize that me getting the kids to be quiet means they always get what they want. So we have to figure out a balance there. They can't always get everything they want so that the house can be quiet. So there's been a lot. Jenae is part of that too. Well, yeah, but that's a whole story. That's true. Um, like I said, there's a lot of stories we're skipping over, but that was another traumatic loss he had when he was younger and he lost his best friend. So, um, But that's why he doesn't like to hear the crying of the girls. Because I think someone's being murdered. Yeah. Um, but I will say there's been like certain things that have happened in his life. I think when we talk about our kids, we just take it one day at a time. We do realize one of them or both of them may be autistic or high functioning or, you know, whatever. But we do give them the space to be themselves. I think because of his diagnosis, and I always remind him of this, especially because a lot of the stuff we're discussing today, there's still daily struggles. Like we'll log off and it'll be like, ha ha ha. And I don't know when the next moment could be where he's having a really bad moment. Um, but because of that, we take it one day at a time. And I told him like, because of your ability to be here and have these conversations, I'll be a better mom to our daughters because mm -hmm. I'll be have somebody like firsthand to be able to say like, no, no, be patient with her. I remember feeling like this. Or I remember what that, that was like, whereas I'm like, what's wrong with, you know, the kid or, you know, whatever. So, um, you know, I, I, like I said, we take it one day at a time and we try not to take ourselves too seriously. The comedy helps a lot. Um, but it's just, a, it's a daily challenge, like daily, I don't want to say challenge. It's just like we just handle it by the day. Yeah, take it day to day. Take yeah, it day to day. and and that's how and that's how you know. Oh, go ahead, Joe. Sorry. I was just gonna say, I do. The, I meet with a therapist twice a week, and I meet with a psychiatrist as well, um, because I know that the best me that I can be will be the best me for my family. So that's very important. Like it's very important to me that those kids grow up in a completely different mental state than I, you know what I mean? Like, I, I would feel like I felt as a parent that grew up more like me mentally. Not not from an autistic standpoint, just from, mm -hmm. you know, like, right. talking about. Which is, which is so beautiful. And this is the thing that you, you're breaking the cycle of what happened to you. And that's what's so important for your story. And that's why I thank you so much for joining us mm -hmm. and sharing it and being so open because your story is going to help so many people realize 
wait, I can break the cycle too. Like you've had, you've had a story. Go ahead. It's not easy. I know. I mean, cause we talk about all the time, not we, but as a society, we talk about breaking generational curses and breaking the cycle. I just, it's not easy. Like I just, I don't need anybody going into it with false pretenses. Like, Oh, this autistic mentally ill football player. Dude, I, I can do it, but it's, it's a very lonely road and there's a lot of struggle that comes with it, but it's, it's not easy, but I, nothing worth doing is easy. So. Right. Right. And that's, and that's beautifully said. And so do you guys have any closing remarks? Again, I could, I have so many questions and <laughs> we could literally go on for hours. I find you guys amazing and just love everything you're saying, but you know, I, we, we told you we're going to be an hour and I know that, uh, you know, we have time, but so do you have anything that you want to close with, um, add, and then Cynthia, I'm going to say the same thing to you as well. Drink more Ovaltine. I'm just playing. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm thinking. Cynthia, do you want, as you think, Cynthia or, or Brie, if you want to, you know, have any closing remarks. Um, I, I'll just say from, you know, my point of view as his wife, because um, I've had several wives reach out to me since we've retired, just with different stories of their husbands going through either depressive episodes or, you know, they, they kind of don't know the next steps and they know Joe's been very open, but maybe their husband's not comfortable contacting Joe. You know, us women are different. Um, you know, be patient because that's one thing Joe will tell you. I, for some reason, have been blessed with an abundance of patience, which sometimes irritates me. But um, it, I will say that it's something that Joe does the work and I just support the work that he does. I do feel like I've had people who are very, you know, you need to do this, you need to do this, and it never really works out that way. But maybe let's do this together or, you know, that positive reinforcement because, you know, I know I have a lot of male friends that don't like having certain conversations with their significant other because they just feel like they can't talk openly without it being like an attack. And so it's kind of one of those situations where you just, you take it in, give yourself some time, and then, you know, be patient and, and know that it's going to take a while. Um, but that would be my biggest, like, takeaway is, like, have patience. It's not like we're talking about years. I mean, 2014 to 2022, you know, years. It's not like an overnight thing. Nothing happens overnight. So um, that's that's my remark. Be patient and then just, you know, be there. But, yeah. So appreciate that. Right. I think that's such excellent advice um, because, you know, as we said in the beginning, we are all so different. Um, we're different as individuals. We're different as couples. We're different. Um, we have different experiences in the league and in life. So, yes, patience and being kind and patient and supportive is is one thing. And also realizing that, as you said earlier, you might not have all the answers or you might not be the best person to talk to. So go outside of your, you know, unit and find, seek help elsewhere. You know, it's also something that I take away from, you know, your experience that getting help outside of the, you know, the home is awesome too. So thank you guys so much for, I, I'm telling you, you're going to end up with a show, a series. You're going to oh, end big time. this story, your lives, the way your mindset is, it's incredible and a lot of people need to know about it and I can't wait to share it you know, through this and any way I can. Joe, do, do you have any um, remarks that you want to end with? And it's okay to say no. We'll <laughs> yeah. get that award one day. Like, I, yeah. mean, I have to say that like now because it's easy to say now as you know, interviews are going, but I'm, I'm going to get that award one day. You are. And we're going to say, guess what? Guess where you heard, heard it first? Why in this live with NFL thread pivot on Fireside? <laughs> Somebody told you about a major comedy award on a sports. How did that happen? Because hey. <laughs> we all have our passions. We all have our passions and we all follow things. And, you know, I, I know on the side, I know, um, Brianna, Cynthia. So Cynthia has an organization called NFL thread and we'll, um, we're going to cut this, but definitely want to talk to you about it because it is a, a LinkedIn for women of the NFL. And, and there's so many events that she does supporting, um, your community, the community that I think it's something that you guys should definitely talk about, but we'll talk about on the side. So I'm just going to say thank you again. 
uh, Bree and Joe Barksdale for joining YNS Live with NFL Thread Pivot. Thank you, everyone. Mark, Gina, Christy, Jennifer, Ray, Elizabeth, uh, Truthful, Marlene, Jen, Shelby, and I, Daniel. I'm I, again, as I know, I said I Ray, and I brought. Uh, what is the, your PR woman's Raya. name? Raya. I have. I mean, I think it's Rail, but I'm not. Rail. Okay. Sorry, Rail. You know, as I was reading them, and every time I do that, I always laugh again because my dyslexia, because I pronounce people's names wrong. And I'm like, oh, why do I get into this? We're going to send you this in an email. We're not going to keep you. But because of Juliet's dyslexia, um, she would always talk about work ethic, but she would say worth ethic by mistake. So we start to put out there, hey, that's a really awesome idea. What is worth ethic? So we'll send you that an email and see what your response is. We'll give you some time to think about that. <laughs> yeah, your worth ethic versus your work ethic. Right. <laughs> so, so again, guys, thank you so much, and good luck with everything. And you know, keep doing. You know, the Autism Speak is amazing. They're lucky to have you out there. You know, talking about it and everything that you're doing in the community. Um, again, thank you guys so much for joining, and uh, we wish you all the luck. And we know we're going to have you on again, and we're going to be out there cheering for your awards. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Brad. All right, guys. Yes, thank you. See ya. A little music to take us out. Of course, it's a polka. <laughs> that doesn't work. <laughs> that does not work. All right, everyone. Thank you again for joining YNS Live with NFL Thread Pivot. We will talk to you guys later. Thank you, <laughs> Barksdales. Bye. Enjoy New York.